okay? Um, all right, we're going to continue our series. As told by a scoundrel, this is a journey through the book of Matthew. We are coming to the end. We are just a few weeks away from the end, the, the final. Um, today, we have a guest speaker. Um, you guys, if you were here in the last two years, then you would remember uh, Pastor Dave uh, and his wife, Jen, who were part of our church for a year. They were sent here uh, to kind of learn and grow and, and um, uh, kind of be church planting uh, apprentices with us. And then they left, and it was very sad because we got very connected to their family. They're back at Building on the Rock Church, one of our partner churches. Um, but I asked Jen to come share a message from the book of Matthew, from Matthew chapter 26. Uh, she has spoken uh, here before. Uh, Jen is one of the consecrated women in ministry in our denomination. Um, men go through an ordination process. Women go through a consecration process. I sat in on her uh, final interview, and I was just very impressed with her understanding of Scripture. Uh, so I asked her to come and, and bring a message today. So I'm going to bring them both up. Dave is going to start us off with a reading. So I would ask if we could stand for the reading of God's Word, uh, and I'm going to hand it off to the Riveras. And by the way, let's give it up for the Riveras just to have them back. Ain't it good to have them back? Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 17. It says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table and the twelve, with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after another, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray Jesus, said to him, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thanks. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be home. We are really excited to be here with you guys today. My kids were super confused because I said we were visiting, and they were like, we're staying. And I'm like, we're not staying. We're just visiting. They were really upset, and then when Rebecca just mentioned the skit, they're like, we're joining the skit. I'm like, you're not joining the skit. Like, <laughs> we're just visiting. <laughs> My daughter said, do we have anything on Easter? I'm like, yes, yes, we have stuff on Easter. So that being said, we're really excited. I'm really excited, too, that we are um, in Matthew. I need, like, one more thing. I'm going to put this down here, I guess. Um, 
I'm excited that we're in Matthew. We, we were here in Matthew with you guys um, when you started this series, this As Told by a Scoundrel series. And so it's exciting to feel like we're coming full circle together as we start to wrap up uh, the book of Matthew. Um, and on one hand, it feels like this has been a really long time, like we haven't seen you in so long. And on the other hand, it feels like it was just yesterday. And seeing you guys is, is just so good for the soul. And so um, thanks for inviting us back. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, I would love to um, after the service. My name, like Pastor Chris said, my name is Jennifer. Um, I have five children. We have five children together. Our oldest is eight and our youngest is nine months. He's over there with Robin. Um, and he was just born the last time you guys saw him. So he looks a lot different. Uh, I homeschool. I, I work for a nonprofit uh, in New York. Um, we do ministry. We do, uh, we're coaching Little League now. A couple of, thank you so much, Steve. Um, we're, we're coaching a couple of teams of Little Leagues, and, and people are asking me, how, how is life? How are things? I'm like, they're busy. Things feel busy, you know? And I know that it's not just me, right? It feels busy for everybody. Everybody. Whenever I talk to someone, they say, oh, it feels busy. Things are busy. I'm busy. And even beyond just our individual lives, like in our communities and, and in the world, it is just things are moving fast, right? And every time I turn on the TV, I'm just being bombarded by how fast things are moving. Things are busy. Things feel crazy. And it reminds me often of how little control that I have over anything. And I really, I, I'm a little bit of a control freak, Okay, my husband would say I'm, I'm really a control freak, but I think it's just the healthy amount, right? Just enough, you know? Like, I, I don't need to know every single step of the plan, but I like to have the plan. I like to have a plan B, and if time allows, I like a plan C. I just like to know what the options are. And honestly, with everything going on in our world, it feels like a really good time to have a plan B. Right? It feels like a really good time to, to have a backup. And I know that I'm not the only one that feels this way. I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me uh, she's cleaning out her husband's car, and she says, I find this backpack, and it has, like, a change of clothes and, like, a phone charger, some money. And she's like, what is he planning? What is going on, right? So she confronts him. She's like, what's this bag? And he's like, it's my go bag. Have you heard of this? It's a go bag. It's, it's in case he needs to go, there's an emergency, and he needs to go quickly, right? He's got his bag. He's already ready. Great. I know, right? Smart. He didn't pack one for his wife or his kids, so it's all every man for themselves at that house. And now I know not to put him in my own backup plan, right? So I had to go back. I had to revise my own robot uprising plan recently because things are moving fast. You've heard of the AI now taking over and stuff. I always, I'm walking around, I'm like, I love you, Siri. I am not a threat, right? Because it's coming. But the reality is that we are living in really confusing, strange, stressful, sometimes even scary times, right? And I can make myself really crazy with all of the what ifs and the wonderings, and the plan B. And I personally have to constantly remind myself that God is in control. But the truth is, this isn't the first time that people have felt like this, right? I can think that. I can be like, oh my God, it's never been like this before. That's not exactly true. People have felt like this before. Pastor Chris alluded to it last week in your message about um, when, when Jesus was preaching the Olivet Discourse, right? And, and people have felt like this, right? We're going to see that in Matthew uh, 26 today. These are difficult times for the disciples, right? 
The anger of the religious leaders is at an all-time high. The political scene is not looking good for the Jewish people. Even Jesus himself is preaching that persecution and hard times are coming. And it feels like everything is kind of churning to this boiling point. It's a really tense time for the disciples, and it's not going to get any easier. If I were them, this is exactly the time that I would be planning, making my plan B, right? Things are becoming a problem, and we're going to need to find an answer for this, right? I would be packing my bag. I would be, like, coming up with different scenarios. But I think that what we're going to find in this passage is that even in the middle of all of this chaos, that God was in control and that Jesus was the answer. We're going to see in these verses that Jesus already knows the details for this story. He already knows the hearts of the people in the story. And he already knows the end of the story. And hopefully, that will remind us that God is still in control and that Jesus is still the answer. Amen? Let's pray. <sighs> Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing here in True Life. We thank you for the people that you've brought here today. And I just pray that as we focus in on your word over these next couple of minutes, God, that you would, that you would move in a mighty way. I pray that whatever I say that is from you that would land and whatever is just of me that it would just fall away, God. I pray that we would be open to what you want to speak to us and that we would leave here challenged and changed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Matthew 26. You can open there and follow along. It's also going to be on the screens. Um, Dave read it. We're going to start in verse 17. It says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Whoops. All right. So we're slowly working our way through uh, the Holy Week, which starts all the way back in chapter 21 when Jesus comes into Jerusalem of riding on a donkey, right? And what has taken us several weeks has really taken the disciples and Jesus only a couple of days. So we find them here on Thursday, and they're preparing for the Passover celebration. They come to Jesus and they say, where do you want us to have the Passover, right? And then Jesus has this kind of weird exchange where he says, you know, you're going to go to the city, you're going to find this certain man, Matthew says, and then you're going to have dinner at, at their house, right? What is he talking about, right? If I was the disciples, I'd be like, all right, Jesus, quit it with these riddles. Now's not the time. It, it's Passover. Just give me an address, right? But that's not what Jesus does. It's important for us to look really closely at the details of this interaction, so first, the disciples, they're asking where we're going to have the Passover, right? Which isn't that big of a deal, right? That seems like a logical question. You know, you're going to have a party. Where's the party going to be? But the thing is, they're not talking about like Taco Tuesday and making reservations. This is one of the biggest religious festivals of the year. This is like if you woke up on Christmas and you get up like super early, it's like four in the morning, and you're cooking, and you're cleaning, and you're wrapping gifts, and you're getting all the things perfect for this perfect day that only comes once a year, and then your spouse kind of rolls out of bed and comes like lollygagging into the kitchen in the morning and says, yeah, hey, hey, wh what do you want to do for dinner? 
what do you want to do for dinner? Like, I would be livid. I would be like, excuse me? You're going to ask me today? It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Why would you wait to today? It's a little late to care about that, right? So the fact that the disciples waited until Thursday in this passage blows my mind. And, and I give them, you know, a pass because they've had a busy week. But still, it seems very strange that they've waited this long. The Passover is tonight, and they don't have a plan. But they're going to be okay because Jesus already had a plan, okay? Jesus already knows all of the details. He says, go into the city and find a certain man, a certain man. It's like, again, Jesus and the riddles. He wants to play Where's Waldo now. This is not just an easy request, right? Historians estimate that there's between one and two million people in Jerusalem on this day, The Jews from all over come to Jerusalem for Passover. You're going to go and find a certain man? That's like if I said to Frank, can you go to Philadelphia and pick up something from a guy? Don't worry, you'll know him. (laughs) He stands out. He's a certain man. Frank would be like, I'm not wasting my time with this, right? (laughs) But that's what's happening here, right? What is going on? And Matthew doesn't give us any, any more clues. But if we look at this same exchange in Mark, he goes a little bit deeper and he says, oh, it's a man that's carrying a water jar. So there, Frank, how about now? Go to Philadelphia, find a guy that's carrying a water jug. You'd still be like, what? Like, there's two million people. Come on. But the thing is, in this society, men don't carry water jars. Women carry water jars. So it's not just a random guy after all. It's a guy that's going to stand out. And what seems like just a tiny detail to us is really part of a much, much bigger plan. And not only that, Matthew's account here makes it sound like they're just going to go and they're going to take over this guy's house. Like, hey, I'm having dinner at your house tonight for the Passover. Be ready, right? Also, not really what happens, right? Matthew is leaving out some of these context clues, but Mark says, no, you're going to go and in verse uh, Mark 14, 15, he says he's going to show you a large upper room that is furnished and prepared, okay? The owner is already expecting Jesus, right? It wasn't a random guy after all. It wasn't a random guy. It wasn't a random house. It's not a random room. Jesus is not just winging it here. He knows each and every detail for this plan. But honestly, this goes a lot deeper than who is bringing what to a potluck, Let's back up. We know that earlier in chapter 26, the religious leaders are already looking for a way to arrest Jesus. But we're told specifically that they don't want to do it on the Passover. Sorry, the Passover. I don't know why I said it that way. They don't want to do it on the Passover because they're worried about the people, right? They're worried about this crowd, this, this enormous mass of people, and they don't want to riot, okay? So they're trying to avoid this. But just like it's not a random guy or a random house— It's not a random day. The fact that this is on Passover is a huge, huge deal. The very first Passover happens in Exodus 12, when the Israelites are in Egypt and they're preparing to leave, right? And Moses is battling it out with Pharaoh, and they've already had nine plagues, and God says, I'm going to send one more. The Israelites are to sacrifice a lamb and then put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their house because that night the Lord would pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn. But Exodus 12:13 says, "The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you." Passover? 
Passover. Get it? So fast forward, here we are in Matthew 26, and while the religious leaders are trying desperately to avoid a confrontation with Jesus on this day, God has a bigger plan here. Jesus didn't just know the details for this particular dinner. He knows the details for the plan of salvation. See, God's plan for redemption is already unfolding, and each detail matters. And the reality is that this plan has been set in motion since the beginning of time. Revelation talks about the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Make no mistake, the sacrifice of Christ was not reactionary. It has always been plan A. God is not surprised by any of the events that we see here. Not at all. Each detail is part of a plan that has been ordained since the very beginning. All of human history is pointing towards this day and these moments when the blood of the Passover lamb would be replaced by the ultimate Passover lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, whose blood would be shed once for many and for all time, that his blood would cover us. And while the religious leaders don't want to arrest him at Passover, God, who orchestrated this plan from the very beginning, has determined the details right down to the day. And nothing can stop that plan because God is in control and Jesus is the answer. And that's just as true today. But if I'm honest, I can forget that. I'm a little bit of a worrier. I'm a big worrier. I'm sorry. I'm a big worrier. And I can constantly be thinking, God, do you see this, God? Do you see what's going on? Are you watching? Are you paying attention? I hope you have a plan for this mess. But the truth is he did, and he does. Jesus already knows all of the details of our lives. And it goes even deeper. As I was preparing for this message, I was talking to a friend, and he reminded me that not only does he know the details, he's the one that's orchestrating them. Ah. Oh. I usually forget that part. But that's exactly what we see in these verses. It's not just that he knew the details. He is not just reacting to them, right? No, he is working them out according to his plan. And we don't have time today to talk about the beautiful mystery of God's sovereignty intersecting with our own free will. But I, dare, I, I, I encourage you to dig into that. What I do have time to remind you is that Paul writes in Romans that all things work together for the good, uh, for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. See, Jesus already knew the details. The details for this particular dinner, the details for the plan of salvation, the details for your life and for mine. And not only does he know the details, he is working them out for good and for his glory. He is in control. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. And we can trust that he is not just some passive God that is sitting off on his throne somewhere and just watching this. No, he is actively involved in the most intimate details of our lives. And so no matter what happens in our world or in the news or in our family, we can trust him through it all because God is in control and Jesus is the answer. 
let's go on. Verse 20 says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of God will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. Now, Passover, like we said before, is a celebration, right? It is a celebration of God's faithfulness, of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. So this is a happy occasion. You know, they're sitting around, they're eating, they're celebrating, and right in the middle of dinner, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And suddenly, everyone freezes. Have you ever had that family member that ruins parties? Yes. Yes. You're young, you're in love, you're like, oh, I'm going to bring my boyfriend over for Christmas. It's going to be great. But the whole time, you're secretly worried about that one weird relative, Uncle Bob. And the whole time, you're thinking, oh, please don't be weird. Please don't be weird. But here he comes, being weird. And you're sitting down at the table, and you're like, man, if I can just get through dinner, and then we'll get away, you know? And you're carving the turkey, and someone says, pass the salt. And Uncle Bob turns to your date and says, who'd you vote for? And you're off to the races. And listen, if you didn't laugh at that, you might be Uncle Bob. But seriously, here they are. They are celebrating this once-a-year feast, and Jesus just drops this bomb on the table with no regard for anyone. And they all start looking around, and they say, is it me? Is it me? Not me, right, Lord? And listen, the other disciples are asking this because they really don't know, right? We have hindsight. We look back. We know who it was. But the disciples, this is news to them. They cannot imagine what they're hearing right now. And I cannot imagine what Judas is feeling, right? Like, Judas, how are you even going to ask, Judas? Do you know what you did? But he does ask. He asks knowing full well that he has already made a deal. And it's not like Judas was overheard talking too loud at the water cooler. No, he went to the religious leaders. The priests are looking for an opportunity to kill Jesus, but they never expect that it's going to be an inside job. And yet here we are. What made Judas like this? And honestly, we see a clue even in the way that they ask the questions. The disciples say, is it me, Lord? Lord, like master or, or someone in authority. Is it me, Lord? And Judah says, is it me, Rabbi? Is it me, teacher? Right? That's a heavy word. And sometimes I can think, man, Judas, how did it come to this? How could he have spent every single day with Jesus for years and years and then just turn around and stab him in the back? But I think that the reality is that this gives a very real picture of what sin can do to the human heart. Someone once said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. See, we can all fall into this trap of thinking something is just a little sin, just a little white lie, 
just a little angry outburst at my spouse or my kids after a really long day, just a little gossip or bitterness for someone that really, really hurt me. But I promise you, it never stays little. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is it's just a little sin. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. It all nailed Jesus to the cross. It all separates us from God. And whether the issue is drugs or lying or gossip or overeating, whatever it is, it's a sin issue. And a sin issue is just a byproduct of a heart issue. And you can't fix a heart issue on your own. James chapter 1 reminds us each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That is what happened to Judas. Listen, Judas wasn't ready to betray Jesus on day one, right? This happened over time, little by little. A little greed, a little pride, a little anger, a little thinking he had a better plan, and little by little, his heart grew hard. His own evil desire went unchecked, and it led to death. And it should be a sobering reminder that a man could spend every day with Jesus and then just turn around and walk away. Because if it can happen to Judas, it can happen to any one of us. But here's the thing. Jesus already knew what was in Judas's heart. See, we can be angry at Judas and and get all riled up because we know what it's like to be betrayed. We know the, the shock and the, and the confusion and the hurt that comes with betrayal. But Jesus wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. He already knew what was in Judas's heart. And Judas was still invited to the table. That's the crazy part, right? Jesus knew and he invited him anyway. Not me. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, no, no, stay away from me. Do what you got to do, but stay away from me. Don't come to my party. Don't come to my house. But that's not Jesus. Jesus knows and loves him still. But here's a pop quiz for us. Who else leaves Jesus that night? Everyone. Everyone. If you read down to verse 31, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. One pastor, author, uh, Dane Ortland, he goes on to explain the idea between the words that are used here in the Greek. And he says, you know, um, fall away is more like stumble and betray, obviously. is like, ah, ah, betray. Um, but regardless of the word choice, regardless of the motive, In just a few short hours, Jesus is going to stand alone, and he already knows it. And he still handpicks each one of them to sit at his table. He knows each one of their hearts, and he knows ours. This is captured really beautifully in a poem, and it says, He knows me. He actually knows me. All of me and everything about me. Every thought inside and hair on my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, all my past and my future, all I am and could be. He tells me everything. He tells me about me. See, he knows. He knows exactly what is in our heart, and he invites us to the table anyway. 
Every time that we, we come to him, he knows it already. He knows our shortcomings and our failings and our stumblings. Every time that we say, I'm yours, Lord, but I really mean just these parts. Every time I sing all for Jesus, but I really mean some for Jesus. All of my great boasts and my bold promises and all of the times that I beat my chest and say, I'll die for you, but then walk out the door like Peter and betray him. He already knows what's in our heart, and he still invites us to sit at the table. Why? Because God is in control, and Jesus is the answer. Amen? Not me. Not you. Because he knows that we can't do it. Romans says we all fall short. We all fall short, and that is a big problem. But my own goodness isn't the answer. Making sure that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's the only answer. And we can forget that. And we run around and we say things like, oh, God could never love me. If he knew what I did, he could never forgive me. He could never want me. And we can think that we've somehow fallen too far from his grace and his love and his forgiveness. We can think that we've ruined his plan for our lives. But guess what? Our seat at the table isn't determined by our own commitment to Christ, but by his grace and his grace alone. God is not shocked by the times that we fall away or stumble or even betray. He already knows exactly what is in our hearts. And he has already provided an answer through Jesus. He invites us to the table. His grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. God is in control, and Jesus is the answer. Amen? All right, we're going to go on to verse 30, 26 to 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I do not drink of this fruit of the vine. I'm sorry, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. All right, so we've already uh, come up to the Lord's Supper, and we can find this same event recorded by uh, Mark and Luke and Paul. And again, they're at the Passover. This is a really big deal. For a whole week, they are celebrating this, this time when they look back to what God has done for them and his faithfulness in bringing them out of Egypt. And they have celebrated this for hundreds of years. And the details of how to celebrate are laid out very, very specifically. Okay, for example, they got to get a lamb that is a one-year-old male, sacrificed at twilight, eaten with roasted herbs and bread made without yeast. It is all planned down to the detail, and nothing is left up to individual preference. Okay, this is not like we're deciding, oh, do you want turkey or ham for Christmas, right? It's not like that. It is all laid out exactly as God ordained. And you'll see on the slide in verse tw um, Exodus 12, verse 26, it is clear that this is a memorial, okay? It says, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrificed to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. 
and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. It's a memorial. Everything about this event is laid out perfectly to remind them and to point them back to that night in Egypt so many years ago. And so as Jesus and the disciples are eating this meal, that's what they're thinking about. That's what they're remembering. They're remembering God's faithfulness. But then Jesus twists things, as he often does. He takes the bread. He gives thanks. This is where we get the word Eucharist from. It's from the Greek, Eucharistia, and it means, like, thankfulness. So he breaks the bread, and he says, take it. This is my body. And then he takes the cup, and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And now we know that this is the Lord's Supper, and so we can look at this event and say, wow, that's so beautiful. And again, we can kind of move past it quickly. But the disciples have got to be really confused at this point. See, for them, the bread has always been a reminder of Egypt. But now Jesus is upping the stakes, right? He says, no, 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 this is my body, my blood. And again, it can feel normal to us because we've heard it before, but this is not normal What Jesus is doing is not normal. In fact, if it was anyone except for Jesus, it would be blasphemy, right? God is the one that decreed what this dinner should look like. What you eat and what you dress, what you say, how, how you interact. The entire meal is laid out by who? By God. And so who has the authority to change it? Only God. And so even in this act, Jesus is again asserting his own identity, He's not just adding some side commentary to this. He's reframing the entire event as the only one with the divine authority to do so. But why? Because he already knows the end of the story. Have you ever uh, had somebody spoil a movie or a big game? Right? It changes how you watch the rest of the thing. It it, it changes everything about you, right? Because, you know... Think, think about some of the big ones through time, like, Luke, I am your father, right? Or like Tony Stark at the end game, or like when Bruce Willis and that weird kid found out he was dead the whole time, right? It changes things when you know how it ends. And that's kind of what's happening here. See, Jesus already knows how it ends. He's not trying to do away with the Passover or the law. Right? We know that the Bible says he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill it all right in ways that they could not even imagine. In this act, Jesus says, no longer will you eat the bread and drink the wine and look back to Egypt. From now on, you will eat the bread and drink the wine and look to me. He already knows how the story ends. He knows that he is going to walk out of that room into a garden and into the hands of his betrayers. He knows he's going to stand trial before judges and rulers. He knows he's going to be deserted, abandoned, and hang alone on a cross on a hill. But he also knows that Sunday's coming. Amen? It is in this meal that Jesus gives a picture of the new covenant through his blood. It is in this meal that the gospel is proclaimed. It is in this meal that we remember not being saved out of Egypt, but saved from our sins. And this is a lasting ordinance. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Passover. He came to fulfill it. His body broken and his blood poured out for many, for you and for me. 
He already knew how the story would end. But that's not all, right? We saw verse 29. He isn't looking just to Sunday, right? We can, especially around this time of year, we can get a little short-sighted. And we can think of like, yay, Resurrection Sunday, which, don't get me wrong, is a huge deal. And our faith hinges on it. Jesus is looking to Sunday, but he's looking at something a lot bigger. He's looking at his return. He knows the end of the Easter story, sure. But he also knows the end of the story for all time. And in this moment, he's not just setting up a memorial. He's setting up a testament of what's to come. One commentary said this. Our Lord here refers to the time of the regeneration of all things. When the heavenly kingdom shall appear in the fullness of its glory, and when his disciples, who now feed on him sacramentally and by faith, shall then eat at his table in his kingdom and drink of the river of his pleasures forever. Amen? He lays the foundation of his covenant with us from now until he returns. And so, yes, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, yes, we remember his sacrifice. We remember his death, his resurrection. We remember that. But we don't just look back. We look forward. We look forward to a king that is coming and coming soon. Amen? See, Jesus already knows the details for the story. He already knows the hearts of the people in the story. And he already knows the end of the story. We can see clearly in these verses how God was in control and he never needed a plan B. Because Jesus was the answer from the very beginning. God was always in control and Jesus has always been the answer. Now listen, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, yeah, Jesus has it easy. He already knows, right? I don't. Jesus already knows the details, but I don't. I don't know the plan or the dates or the times or how things are going to play out. Jesus already knows what's in our hearts, but I don't. Even my own, I can have blind spots and, and insecurities that cause me to act in ways that are inconsistent with my walk with Christ. Things that want to pull me away from intimacy with the Father. But we have one thing in common. Jesus knew how the story would end, and so do we. And that should change everything. See, the reality is these can be really scary times. On a worldwide level, we have banks failing, wars and rumors of war, famine, earthquakes, and on a personal level, sickness, financial stresses, broken relationships. These are scary and confusing times. But we know how the story ends, and that's a big deal. One that should affect every other detail of our lives. How I speak to my neighbors. How I spend my money. How I prioritize my time. Because the thing is, God is still in control. And Jesus is still the answer. We know the end of the story. And that changes things. We have a hope that is an anchor for our soul. 
So we are not blown about by every tweet and headline and doctor report because our security is not found in those things, but in Christ Jesus, our provider, our protector, our refuge, our savior, our sanctifier, our healer, our coming king. He is our powerful redeemer and he is working out things for our good and for his glory. We know how the story ends and that should change things. That changes everything because God is still in control and Jesus will always be the answer. Amen? Thank you.